It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Yo, welcome in to another episode of the Take Talk podcast. I may or may not have accidentally hit a button. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you did that on purpose. I was like, oh, nice. We're, we're launching the intro. Oh, oh I just wanted to preview it. I was like, oh, how does this work? And then I clicked it and it started playing. I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> Anyways, so that was a smooth transition in. I should have should have yeah, not said it worked that. worked well. Um, but here we are. We just concluded week seven of the NFL season. Uh, Steve, <laughs> I thought since it was a really light week, we had six teams on by, we could do the listeners the honor of just going game by game and dropping some notes. Scott Barrett, if you're listening, you this can replace our weekly phone call. All right, so don't call me this week to talk about <laughs> it. We're just going to do it right now for everybody, okay? What do you think about that, Steve? You good? I love it because... You know, just as we thought that this was a chalk slate this week, of course it wasn't. So there's stuff to talk about. Of course, every game was freaking close except for a handful. Um, yeah, pretty interesting. Before we get into that, though, let's hit some NFL news. I just was reminded too, Steve, that we were going to do a trade deadline show. But you know what? We can do that next week, right? When is yeah. the deadline? Deadline's next week, Wednesday, I think. I think it's next week, Wednesday at like four Ooh. o'clock. So it kind of works out that, you know, we'll probably have, you know, maybe some news prior and then talk so about the what's going to happen. Is, as the, the question is, do we want to do, do we want to wait to record next week and do a, hey, this is what happened in the trade world. Let's break all these down. Or do we want to do a show previewing, hey, this is what I want to see happen? That's a good question because we could do like a two o'clock show and kind of be right in the midst of the end of it. So there would be news to break as we go. But, I know that last year Fantasy Points did do a live stream, breaking down trade deadline trades. I was a part of that. I don't know if we're doing that or not again or not this year. But anyways, maybe if we have time to do the show, Steve, maybe we'll we'll preview some trades we'd like to see. How about that? Yeah, yeah, I like All it. Right. Before we jump in, and we are going to jump in quickly this week because we got a lot to talk about. Um, I do want to mention there is a new tool on the Fantasy Points website. It is the schedule adjusted fantasy points per game allowed by position tool. Um, the SAFPGAP, as I like to call it. Um, this is completely powered by fantasy points data, but it is not part of the fantasy points data per- subscription. Actually, let me clarify. I think you get it with the fantasy points data subscription, but it's you don't have to get the data subscription to get it. I think it's part of our right. lowest tier subscription. It's basically a gift to you guys if you're not a subscriber. It's a way of us opening our door and saying, come on in for a cup of coffee. It's on on the house, even though it's not on the house. It's just heavily, just insane value. I think it's like a $30 sub. You can use the the code GURIFIC for another 25% off as well. Uh, But this this tool is insane. You can go team by team. It's matchup too, so it's it's every week it gets updated. You can go team by team. And look at the fantasy points allowed by defense per position. And it breaks it out pretty cool. So like tight end, you have inline and split wide. Split wide means slot or wide. Wide receiver, it goes slot, left wide receiver, right wide receiver. 
running back is rushing and receiving quarterback is passing and rushing and so you can look at all of these splits there's an option to do just the last five games if last five here we go camera last five games if you want to just get those in the in the sample it's pretty powerful though i just did a spot on john's serious xm show and i used this chart almost the entire time i was talking and it was great i didn't have to do any research before i went in i just winged it and it was awesome so love it kind of like how i do this show (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyways please go check that out it's awesome we're constantly popping out new ideas new tools um i know the data suite is about to launch an update Hopefully, by the end of the week, that's going to have two new tools that are just insanely high-powered. Um, yeah, we're making it happen here. So, Yeah, be a part it's, of only get, it's getting better every day, basically. Getting better every day. And that's that's who I am as a person, Steve. Every day, I like to get up and look in the mirror. The only person I'm competing against is who I was yesterday, Steve. <laughs> I'm glad that Fitness Points has, has taken that on as their identity as well. So, Love it. Anyways, here we go. We're going to go game by game. Let's start with the Thursday night football game. The Jacksonville Jaguars traveled to the New Orleans Saints. They won by a score of 31 to 24. Steve, notes. Um, yeah, Christian Kirk is might just be the number one in Jacksonville. That was kind of one of my takeaways is that. You know, might be about it, son. We've officially seen the shift of what was at the end of last year. You kind of saw the shift to Trevor Lawrence targeting Christian Kirk more. And you're seeing it now evolve as the season goes on this year again. And I think it's just that Trevor Lawrence likes to throw the ball over the middle. Christian Kirk can win over the middle. It was, a, but it was a good game. I mean, I thought the Jaguars had had it in control for most of it. The Saints made a push at the end, but the Saints are a scrappy team. But I think that, and I think they'll honestly probably make the playoffs. If I had to pick right now, NFC South, I think that New Orleans probably wins it, but. I just, it was, at least it was an entertaining Thursday night game for the first time in a while. It was. It was entertaining. Um, Christian Kirk, by the way, does have the highest target share on the team. But what's really interesting about Jacksonville is they they kind of are super spreader. Now, they're not super spreader like the Chiefs where they're using 19 different guys. But right. with their core group of Kirk, uh, Ridley, Ingram, and Zay, all those guys get a pretty steady share of the targets. Um, the top three I mentioned are all right around 20% actually. So um, yeah, Kirk has just been far more productive on, you know, the touches he's had um, his yards per route run is significantly higher than Calvin Ridley's at this point. So you, you do have to wonder, you know, what's going on there. I know. So I, I've been thinking about this from an X's and O's standpoint, Steve, like, one of my big, biggest criticisms on, on Lawrence is that he's just so quick to get through his progressions. Yeah. Like he, he plays too fast, to be quite honest. A lot of times we're talking about QBs not getting through their progressions. Lawrence is doing it, just doing it way too fast. He's not patient enough. And I wonder if because Kirk plays in the slot, there's a lot of play designs where he's naturally the the second option in a in a in a read. And so maybe he's just you know, because the play is actually developed at that point, if he's just doing more with his bulk of the work he's getting. So anyways, um, yeah, this any other notes from this game? I mean, it was a good game. I I think the Saints offense is like watching paint dry, it's, to be honest with you. But it's just I mean, listen, for the first time in a while, Kurt, or Derek Carr's 
ADOT was reasonable. It wasn't completely just checkdowns and deep balls. He, he incorporated a little bit of intermediate throws, but I mean, it's just the Alvin Kamara show of, I mean, it still is a lot of checkdowns. I mean, what his checkdown rate was still at, yeah. you know, 12.7%, which Kamara had another 12 catches. Yeah. He was right there, like top four in the league up for this week of, of checkdowns. So that's yeah. just like the nature of their offense. I just don't know. It just doesn't hold up well. It you know there are going to be some games where Kamara is going to break it. There are going to be some games where he gets you know twelve catches for thirty eight yards. We've seen that before. It's just it's a it's a slog to watch that offense right now. Yeah, it's really bad. Um, you know, Derek Carr just doesn't look right either. I don't know what it is, man. The, the way they're using Chris Olave is frustrating. Like, there's yeah. clearly a disconnect there between Carr and Olave. Yeah. 15 targets, Steve, which is great if you're a fantasy guy. Although he had – how many times did Carr drop back? 59 times. So that's yeah, – It was a lot. Yeah. So he's actually right around 25% of the target share, which is what you would expect. So it's actually not that great. But he only caught seven of them for 57 yards. God. That is the least efficient receiver pass game stat line I've probably ever seen. And you know it's targets seven catches, fifty-seven yards. Yuck. Derek Carr still had fourteen and a half percent off-target throw percentage that this week. So you know, pretty again, pretty standard for what he's been. Where he's you know he's airballing fifteen to twenty percent of his throws each week, and that just puts him in a just puts him in a bad position. Yeah. But the big thing is, I like out of this is that Jacksonville getting their run game going this year has been very crucial to the operation of their offense. It's true. That was something that they kind of struggled with last year. ETN was, you know, built to be, you know, this playmaker all around guy. You didn't really see it a ton last year, but you're seeing it this year. You're seeing their offensive line move people this year and it's helping their offense, you know, move a little bit more efficiently. Trevor Lawrence isn't having to put as much on his shoulders. And I think that that's helping him a lot as well. So as they go and, as the season goes along, I think that having that run game actually be effective this year is going to continue to help this offense operate well. And, you know, they're in a kind of a dog division, dog being bad, dog water, yeah. I should say. And, you know, it's I think that they get to they're going to continue to run away with things. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Detroit travels to Baltimore and gets absolutely curb stomped by the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson put on a freaking show. Um, I have like two takeaways from this game that I want to discuss, and then I'll, I'll open the floor to you. Um, one, the, the Lions aren't going to go very far this year if they can't figure out how to deal with mobile quarterbacks. Now, thankfully yeah. for them, there's only one left in the NFC, and the only chance they have of playing that guy, Jalen Hurts, is if it's in like the NFC title game or something, or, yeah. or in the playoffs. It's just the playoffs. We don't know how that's going to stack up yet. So it so I kind of feel good about that from a, from a Lions fan standpoint, but like, man, Terrell, uh, I almost said Terrell Austin. Holy crap. <laughs> Dude, that's Holy like, throwback. Yeah. Aaron Glenn, uh, just, this is, this has been going on since he's been in Detroit. It just yeah. super mobile quarterbacks. Just give him fits. He, it almost seems like he calls plays a little nervous. Um, Dan Campbell touched on it a little bit. There were, you know, he said there were plays that Aaron would like to have back. Well, I'm sure there were a lot of them because the game plan now against Seattle was suspect. You go back last year, 
Um, you know, Hurts and the Eagles tore him up as well. Lamar, same thing. I think the year before that. So yeah, um, it's just more of the same from the the Lions defense looks great, except against mobile quarterbacks. This has been a theme now for quite some time. So they got to figure that out. Perhaps they go get somebody at the trade deadline that can help. I do think uh, not getting any pressure from the other side, not named Aiden Hutchinson is a problem. But um, yeah, before I get to my second one, you got anything on that? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's unfortunately it's plagued the Lions even before Aaron Glenn got there. For some reason, it's just the Lions lot in life right now that <laughs> mobile quarterbacks will forever and always just hem the, like hem them in and just yeah. dominate them. They just they they look lost when they're trying to defend a mobile quarterback. It's like there's too many keys to focus on for everybody in that defense that they start overthinking and then all the, and that's when guys are breaking loose for, you know, 15, yep. 20, 30 yard gains. Yes. And so a lot of people have asked me, is my confidence in the line shaken? And the answer is really no, not for what the expectations should have been for this team. I still think they yeah. can accomplish that pretty easily, which was win the division, host a playoff game, potentially win a playoff game. Yeah. That was the goal always. So I'm pretty steadfast that I think that's still 100% within reach and likely to happen. Yeah. Uh, but going beyond that, yeah, my confidence is a little shaken. And we're starting to get that feeling in Detroit, Steve, where it's like, maybe this is the year. Right. Not win the Super Bowl, but they make a push for it. They right. win a playoff game or two. You know that, like maybe this is the year. I, I definitely feel like if they run into Philly at any point in the playoffs, that's that's season over automatically. So, um, anyways, other point I had Zay Flowers, dude. Um, you know, from a fantasy standpoint, we loved early in the year how quickly they got him involved in the offense. I think yep. weeks before he had a target share of like 26.6%, 27.6%, which is great for a rookie wide receiver, Steve. But then yeah. after four weeks, we're sitting back on, you know what? The way they're using him is so stupid, though. A 6.2 A dot, less than two yards per route run. So, yeah, they got him involved. He's getting some decent volume, but like no high quality touches. Nothing in no. the head zone, nothing downfield, zilch. Well, the last three weeks, his target shares remained roughly the same, 26-ish percent, but his ADOT has almost doubled, Steve. He's up to 11.3. Uh, the production, obviously, has been a lot better, too. His yards per route run is way up. I love what they've done here. Um, we talk about all the time. Sometimes when, when you have a rookie that's really promising, you just have to figure out ways to get them involved to build that confidence, build that rapport, build that trust, and then build on that. Uh, we saw the Saints do it with Michael Thomas a few years back. He was an undeveloped prospect, but he did a couple things really, really well. In Michael Thomas's rookie season, they literally just had him do those things. That's it. You're going to run yeah. slant. That's why he got the nickname Slant Boy. You're going to run back shoulder go balls and maybe some deep crossers. That's it. That's all they used. And they just steady die to that stuff. They built the rapport. He developed, became a dominant player i think zay is trending in a similar direction him and him and lamar have a really good connection there andrews and flowers definitely are making lamar better as well yeah i, I just really like what i'm seeing in, in the way they've incorporated him in, and then built upon that yeah you can see him start to use flowers over the middle a little bit more which i yes. think is perfect for him he's a, you know he's athletic he's shifty get him over the middle and let him make him let him make a play and that's what they're doing my big yep. takeaway from, from this game was that this was coming for Baltimore. I think that a lot of people didn't like either, you know, they obviously don't, you know, don't always watch the games as closely as you and I do, which, you know, I understand, but this game was in the future for Baltimore. 
they had been so close to this type of game. You know, they should have beat Pittsburgh. They should have had this type of game against Pittsburgh, but their receivers let them down, let Lamar down. This week, it was the Lions just ran into an absolute juggernaut where they executed everything to perfection. The receivers were getting open. The receivers were catching the ball. This is more for me. My again, my takeaway is that not so much about Detroit. It's more that Baltimore, I think, is a top two team in the AFC. If they keep operating the way they want to like this, where they're getting pressure, which I was you know skeptical about the way they were getting pressure, but the way they use those linebackers are the most important linebackers in the NFL in a position that we talk about as not being super value, valuable, you know, in the grand scheme of team building, the Baltimore Ravens have built a defense that is, you know, kind of centered around how their linebackers operate. They're key in creating pressure. They're key in the way they, you know, they defend the pass. It's kind of, it is kind of crazy just what they're doing and how they're, they've built this defense and how it's operating that it's centered kind of around the production of their linebackers. It's pretty cool to see. And they, they fly around. I mean, it's it's a great – it's a defense that just, like, sticks to their keys. They have a lot of, you know, unknown talent kind of in the back end. I think, like, Geno Stone evolving into what he is has been really good for this defense. And just, you know, it's, it's fun to see. And I really think that Baltimore has kind of cemented themselves as a potential, like, AFC championship run. This could be the year where they finally get rid of that stink that they've had when they get to the playoffs – just because of the way this offense operates now it's finally hitting its stride it's finally getting to the point where they are pushing the ball down the field the passing game has become more effective and the running game is still very solid and it's still really effective yeah uh all fair points i don't know that i'm ready to go that far with them i do think they're definitely better than than anyone thought they're definitely better than i thought that's for sure i was definitely wrong about them um which is cool um so yeah, the AFC is just so freaking tough, man. It's hard. It to is. It's really loaded. <laughs> it is yeah, loaded. It's, it's super loaded. Um, all right, let's go to the Las Vegas Raiders traveled to Chicago. <laughs> they got clapped by Tyson Badgent. Division um, two, Shepherd University. I love it. Yeah i I don't really want to say much about this game other than. When you look at what how how the Bears put up thirty points, it's embarrassing. This is I'm just gonna quickly just for the listeners to show you how how much attention to detail we put into this discussion. <laughs> just real quickly, I'm gonna I'm gonna read you the the types of throws Badgent threw in this game in order: screen, <laughs> check down, sprint left option, hitch for four yards, a bubble. A dig across the middle against cover three. It was a it moved the chains, but it was like ten yards deep. Jet pop pass, speed out, slant, a naked play action that's you know turned into a scramble drill, threw a ball at three yards depth, a halfback screen, play action boot and hit the shallow at five yards depth, a throwaway, a scramble drill sideline throw for an amazing depth of target of five yards. He turned down Cole Komet, by the way, on a wide open crosser on that play. A slant for six yards, a slot out for seven yards, a screen, a scramble drill, sideline throw. This was the deepest throw of the day, 15 yards. Scramble drill, though. So nothing in structure downfield. Throwaway, scramble drill, sideline throw for 12 yards. Another scramble drill for 12 yards. Halfback screen, screen, check down, check down, check down. Halfback screen, end zone fade, check down. Sprint left option flat for a depth of target of four yards. 
and then a pull lead pitch that went forward on accident. So it got charted. <laughs> um, this is embarrassing. You gave up 30 points to that. The deepest throw of the day was 15 yards and it was out of structure. No, nothing in structure went over 12 yards. Only three passes all day traveled more than 10 yards downfield. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it already, but have you looked at what his A dot was for this week? No. Guess. <laughs> I'm scared to. Uh, three. Two point four. <laughs> I went lower than I thought it would be, and you, it still was lower than that. Two point four. He had an A dot of two point four, and they won thirty to twelve. Yes, I think so. that is just a gross mismanagement of defense and. Yeah. I just like it was two backup quarterbacks. You knew the game was going to be ugly, but right. I don't think you expected the Raiders' defense to collapse in the way that it did, and to just especially because they had shown up the two weeks prior. Right, Meek Robertson was a revelation. Nate Hobbs is still playing good. All of a sudden, you got the secondary that's jamming, and then Tyson Badgett pieces you up for thirty on an eight out of two. Yeah, what is happening? I mean, yeah, it's just some of that. And before, you know, before we put it all on Badgett's shoulders, as he did something amazing, he did nothing amazing, by the way. But no. some of this was Brian Hoyer threw two picks. Aiden O'Connell threw a pick. They were they were giving the Bears some layups with how far they had to travel to score points. Yes. But the Bears didn't do much of anything to earn the 30. That's for sure. Um, pretty well. No, it's, it's set up perfectly for what they wanted to do. They were, you know. The Bears came in with an obviously very light game plan for Badgett of like, we're just going to try and keep you comfortable. We're not going to make you try and operate some advanced offense. It wasn't like Stefanski when DTR rolled out there and it was like, all right, here we go. You're going to operate our full offense. Good luck. This was neutered to the nth degree. And I mean, he operated as good as you can in that, in that he didn't make a ton of mistakes. He did what he needed to do and the oh, run game sure. their, their run game was mildly effective. Deonta Foreman had, you know, he averaged five and a half yards per carry. And yeah, the Raiders defense just looked listless and uninterested. And I think that that's been kind of the story of the Raiders under uh, McDaniels. And we'll see where it goes after this. I think that it might be I mean it's funny because like I think that the Raiders don't view themselves as a fire sale. Everybody else views them as a fire sale. We'll see which way they go. But I mean it's just a it's a culmination of what this organization has been the last couple of years. Yeah, I don't want to keep bringing this up because I, you know, it sounds horn tooty. <laughs> but I did my my preseason bet with the staff picks was that you know, McDaniels would be the first head coach fired. So I'm sticking with that. I think uh, the week after Thanksgiving, I think he he gets terminated officially. Um, the problem with, with the Patriots guys is when they – it's not just that they lose. It's that they drive everybody insane along the process. Yeah. And I just think people – when you it works when you're winning, but when you're not winning, the mentality, the attitude, I just don't think anyone likes it. No one cares for it. These are professionals. These are guys getting paid millions of dollars. How many guys on the Raiders alone make more money than Josh McDaniels and he's supposed to be a superior to them and he doesn't treat them? Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know how Josh McDaniels treats them. I just know what other Patriots coaches have done. So, yeah. But anyways, I digress. Let's move on. We spent too much time on that as it was. Uh, but I had to go throw for throw for, for badge and things. So, <laughs> uh, the most exciting game of the week was the Cleveland Browns at 
the Indianapolis Colts. They get a one-point victory, 39-38. And uh, there was some controversy here, Steve, because the Browns, it seemed like the refs literally wanted the Browns to win with the way they called yeah. the end of that game. It was some of the worst officiating I've probably ever seen. And I can comfortably say that as a guy who honestly hates both teams. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know it's bad when I – you know, went to school in Ohio. So I have a lot of friends that are Cleveland Browns fans. And during that game, they're messaging the group chat saying, oh my gosh, are the refs in our favor? Which like never happens for the Browns. So like right. even even they understood what was going on. That this yep. was that like somehow they're given eight to 10 chances. Um, I mean, the big takeaway from this is that Miles Garrett's a game breaker. The man single-handedly won the game for you needed this game for that to be proven i don't know what to tell you (laughs) you did it but it really just like he set himself apart i mean the the athleticism of him to jump over the line not make contact with any of the offensive linemen and block that kick are you saying you can't do that (laughs) no i don't given the situation if you were putting miles garrett's shoes you couldn't make that play steve (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i don't have the ups for that it's funny because Garrett has been a guy who gets like mocked for his workout videos. He's always doing box jumps and crap like that. Well, guess right. what, guys? Box jump translated in yeah, real time. Directly translated. To block a field goal there. So um, maybe, maybe you should celebrate guys uh, getting after it in the offseason the way that Miles Garrett does. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, and then just obviously they lost, but. The way the Colts and Shane Steichen are running this offense is really impressive. I love what they're doing with Josh Downs. Michael Pittman has become, is, you know, doing better than what I thought he was going to do this year. I thought he was going to be kind of my He's mad, guy. though, Steve. He's mad. Don't say that. He's mad. You see this? <laughs> no. Oh, dude. He, like, went on a long rant with a reporter about how I guess I'm just not part of the, the pass game. I guess oh. I'm just not an option. Uh, you know, felt like he's under-targeted. I think someone needs to remind him that Gardner Minshew dropped back the pass. Like he threw like twenty three passes, so like he got five five of those targets, which is probably under what his career target share is. But still, bro, like it was a weird game, and you scored thirty eight points. Yeah, and you had a seventy five yard touchdown. Yeah, you took advantage of the target of one of the targets you got. Yeah, I don't I don't know why you're complaining, but yeah, I just thought it was funny. You're like he he's exceeded my expectations, and I'm like, well, he hasn't exceeded his own because he's mad. He thinks he needs to be more involved. But it's probably frustrating to see a rookie come in and, and kind of take over, you know. Yeah. When especially when Pittman's kind of lived through some pretty bad offensive game plans there the last few years, and then you know you think you're the dude, and then my advice to Pittman would be to suck it up. And you're you're a team that has some promise. You've won three games when you shouldn't have, and almost beat the Browns. That was nice. Like he's gonna be part of the offense. I don't know what he's talking about. Put a ton of points up on the best yeah. defense in the NFL exactly. right now. The Browns are a mystery of what they're going to be this year. This defense, like, it's funny that them and the Steelers are kind of the same as each other. Right. In that they're just, I hope to God our defense can hold hold a team to under 14 points and let our offense struggle to what they're going to get. I, they're going to be competitive in every game because of their defense. But man, I don't know about what about their offense. They're not going to break. Jerome Ford isn't going to break 60-yard runs every game. Don't say that. The fantasy people want to hear that he is going to do that. Because <laughs> he doesn't get touches in the red zone. So he's going right. to do that to be fantasy viable. So, Right. Anyways. 
All right, we got to move on, Steve. Buffalo travels to New England. And in the Twilight Zone game of the day, Buffalo somehow loses to New England 25 to 29. Mac Jones had the best game of his career, arguably. No, not arguably. He did. 83% completion percentage. Two of his incompletions were throwaways, Steve. This dude's a ju- like, what are we talking? Like, what is going on? I know the Bills secondary is mangled right now, but why could they only score 25 points? Like, this is, you did not expect the Bills to lose this game. I Nobody picked New England. Literally nobody. I don't even think Robert Kraft picked New England to win this game. No. Like, this was, like, everyone just penciled this in as an L. Somehow Belichick continues his dominance over the Bills. It's been his entire career. But anyways, floor is yours. They, for Mac Jones, it was they did a lot of RPO dropbacks. They did a ton of RPO. They got him comfortable. That was and that's what he, you know, that what is, is what people have been screaming into the into the sun. It seemed about. Like every damn throw was an RPO, to be quite it honest. Was, it mean pretty darn close and it paid off. He looked comfortable. He never looked, you know, flustered. He never looked like he, you know lost his lost getting through his progression his progressions it just like it you dumbed the game down for him you got him into a position where he's comfortable and he took advantage of it and that i mean we'll see how if they keep doing that but it was at least nice to see because i still stand by that this is a really good defense and i really like this defense and being able to keep the offense on the field allows this defense to play the way it wants to I thought that Jabril Peppers made an awesome play baiting the yes, sale throw for in, to, in, to get the interception on Josh Allen. They, you know, kind of had Josh Allen thinking a little bit too much while, while he was trying to throw the ball. It just, it was a good game plan from offense to defense. And you know, you knew this team could do it. Cause I mean, outside of their receivers, it's not a completely bereft of talent, team they have talent on on the on the defense they have some talent on the offense it was just that they couldn't put it together but they put it together they ran a game plan that was effective for mac jones and allowed him to just kind of play the way he wants to play and i hope that they i hope that they continue to do this the rest of the year i don't know if they will because you know i think that they the patriots are overthinkers and they try and you know be they're trying to be the smartest team in the league too much sometimes but yeah, yep. it was it was a good game plan by New England and Josh Allen. Even I mean, he came out after the game. And he's like, I'm, he he did the Justin Fields where he's like, I'm thinking too much. I need to stop thinking and start just playing. And it, I mean, it kind of it kind of is true. He is trying to be too much sometimes. Yeah, that's a good segue to my only notes of this game, Steve. Is that Josh Allen's got to stop turning the ball over. Two more turnovers this week. One pick, a fumble lost. He's got to stop. Um, anyways. Washington traveled to East Rutherford, New Jersey to play the New York Giants. They lose by a score of 14 to 7. If you watch this game, um, I don't think you're listening to the show because I'm pretty sure everyone that watched this game is dead. Because this was horrible. This was not football in the way we like football. This is I don't want to spend any time on this game, honestly. This is this is horrible. Sam Howell, bad. Tyrod Taylor, a little better. Um I really only they finally got Darren Waller involved like at a high yep. level. Yeah. Um, but man, this was this was a rough game to watch. So yeah. Um Sam Howell is sacking himself into oblivion. And I say sacking himself because a lot of these sacks are his own fault. Not ever not all of them are on his offensive line. A lot of them are on him. Um Tyron Taylor, right? You can see the arm talent he has. 
Yeah. But, uh, dude, what are you doing? I know his offensive line's bad too. Let's not put it all. It is. It is bad. Yeah. But you've got to make a concerted effort to get the ball out faster. They have too much talent at receiver for this to be happening week in, week out. Like the fact that it took him three quarters to get Terry McLaurin involved is, you know, that's terrible. Yeah. It was like after that first one, too, he's like, wait, you are good. Okay. Here's oh, nine yeah. more targets for the rest of the half. And they yeah, just it, he started force feeding it to Terry. Yeah. It's <laughs> two ugly teams. Tyrod Taylor threw, had, had, I think he had like a 10, 10 and a half percent. Uh, yeah. 10 and a half, 10.3 percent hero throw. Right. Yeah. So he was, I mean, he, He's been placing the ball well. In the end, Washington's got to be kicking themselves because this was a have to have it game. They win this. They're at four and what? Four and three? Yeah. Yeah. Four and three, right in the right in the playoff picture, but they lose a divisional game. Now they're sitting there three and four. It's season's not over for them by any means, but it's like it's just one of those just super frustrating losses. Um, I can't imagine they're happy about it either. No. And I don't think it'll happen, but I think that they should consider putting Jacoby Brissett in. I think Jacoby Brissett could operate this offense a little bit better. Brissett had the Browns cooking last year. so He did. He did. And I think he could do it even more with this receiving crew. Yes, sir. All right. The Atlanta Falcons, another divisional game. They traveled to Tampa Bay to take on the Buccaneers. This was for battle of first place. Atlanta – wins that game by three points, 16 to 13. Relatively low-scoring game. Obviously, I don't want to hit the Bijan stuff because, listen, we don't know how bad his head hurt. We don't know how sick he was. It is crazy. It's weird. They maybe tampered a little bit, didn't you know, follow NFL protocol. I don't even want to get into that. Let's just talk about the game. Um, let's just assume they didn't have Bijan because he was hurt. I For the Falcons, this is a really good win. Um, you're seeing Drake London come alive. Yeah, he's a big part of that office now. His target share uh, has gone up by like 8% since the first four weeks of the season. He's truly stepping into that wide receiver one role. And guess what? Desmond Ritter's playing better because of it. Imagine that. Um, But the other big note here, dude, is uh, Baker Mayfield's kind of cracking a little bit. That really hot start he got off to, it's fallen apart. And the things that I've really noticed, like you go into the Fantasy Points data suite and you can pull these numbers for yourself. But Baker, um, they so they use play action more than any team in the league. And his passer rating from play action now is just 70.1. Yep. Early, that's terrible, by the way. Like, that's worse in the league. It's not Pretty much the beginning of the year, all that stuff was working for him. The other thing is, is he has the highest, or sorry, second highest uh, pressure to sack ratio in the NFL. Again, early in the year, weeks one, two, three, even into four a little bit. One of the things that we were all talking about is Baker's really avoiding those negative plays. He's not turning the ball over, not taking sacks like he used to. Well, that's completely flipped on its head. He's taking sacks at a pretty alarming rate right now. Um, I know this week he only got sacked three times, but um, the pressure, because they do so much boot action, he's not under pressure that much. So for him to be taking the amount of sacks he has is kind of crazy. So. I think you're starting to see the cracks. I'm a little concerned about this offense. That's really all I have about this game. Yeah, it. Um, I mean, it was it wasn't really sustainable. Baker was like the best quarterback under pressure to start the year, the first, in like the first four games, and that's just not a sustainable model to operate. Eventually, it's going to regress back to the mean. Um, Desmond Ritter has to stop turning the ball over. I mean, my goodness, he needs to be a little bit 
better handling the ball, but yeah, Dan, how many I mean, fumbled Tampa, a bunch of times? How many times did he fumble this week? Was I think two he had three, three fumble, four? I think he had three. two or two or three. But the, I mean, Tampa Bay, this offense is just they can't run the ball, so they're putting so much on Baker's shoulders, and that's just not the way you want to operate with Baker Mayfield. You need nope. to have you need to have a complementary offense for him to operate well. And they just don't have it. They can't run the ball against any team. I mean, Atlanta does have a good run defense. The Lions, the week before, they have a good run defense. So they've run into a, you know a couple stout defenses against the run. But even against other teams, like let's say the Minnesota Vikings early in the year, they couldn't run the ball. It's just it's too much responsibility on Baker Mayfield's shoulders. And like you said, and like you said, they have so many play action dropbacks. Guess what? Defenses stop respecting the run on play action if you can't run the ball. Yep. The when you talk about do like a really play action heavy team, I know there's been a lot of data studies done that show you don't necessarily need run game efficacy for the play action to work. However, right. you do when you get into second and third and long situations, yeah, because now your play action doesn't work at all. Yeah, when there's zero threat of a run game, because that's the thing, Rashad White's averaging like 3.2 yards per carry, yeah, he's not even average he's well below league average so it is affecting their ability to be effective with play action so yeah um all right moving on and by the way we are now past the halfway point so um pittsburgh steelers traveled to la for a home game shot at the picture (laughs) whatever rams don't have fans is my my no anyways pittsburgh goes to la they win by a score 24 24 to 17 um you know, Kenny Pickett, George Pickens' connection seems real. Deontay Johnson came back and looked pretty darn good, actually. Looked really fluid of the yeah. route running, like he always does. I just assumed coming off of the the ankle or whatever, he would be a little rusty with the route running. No, he looked great. Um, the other big note here, and I know it's a losing effort, but Puka Nakua, I'm changing this dude's name. It's now Puka Nuke Kua because he's dropping nukes all over the field, bro. This is ridiculous. Now, he... He is the one of seven receivers in the NFL that is averaging three yards per route run against man and zone. And I'm just laughing right now because all the first few weeks of the season, I had to read these tweets about people. Well, like he can't beat man coverage. Yada, yada. No, dude, he didn't play anyone that plays man. And now he's played teams that play man. Pittsburgh runs man at one of the highest rates in the NFL. And Puka Nakua tore them apart. He had 120 of his 154 yards against man this week. So all I got to say is suck it. I like it. And right. it's it's nice because now obviously again losing effort, but having Puka Nakua changes this offense because now whereas last year when Cooper Cup was out and or was not effective in a game, which wasn't often, but when it was, the passing offense went to hell. At least with Puka Nakua, they cannot like this would have if they didn't have Puka, let's say it was just Cooper Cup, this would have been an even uglier game for the Rams offense, but. You know, now they have a number two, I mean, 1A, 1B at this point. So yeah. at least their passing offense doesn't lose, doesn't fall to the fallout completely without Cooper Cup being involved. But it does affect them. Cooper Cup is integral to that offense, and you can see it. But the Pittsburgh Steelers defense, they are as good as advertised. And I, you know, TJ Watt is out there making interceptions on a, you know, a play that they, they, they set that up and they impersonating uh, our boy, Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah. 
But, I mean, they had Matthew Stafford in hell. This game, Matthew Stafford had a 48.3% completion percentage. And it just, yeah. Like, again, it's like I said with the Browns, it, the Steelers are the same way. As long as their defense can hold a team in, the offense is going to produce enough. I am, I'm eat, you know, personally eating crow again with George Pickens. I did not think he'd turn into what he's turned into. He's now getting separation, which I didn't think that he was, you know, he didn't do that at all last year. He didn't even do it to really start in the first three games, but he's become a separator and that's changed the offense a little bit. Do you want to know why? Yeah. Let a lot me of people don't understand this concept. I'm not saying you don't, by the way, a lot of people don't. I've been asked why, why does George Pickens look so much better? Well, it's, here's the thing. They're targeting him on short and intermediate routes. Now they just never did that, but he didn't even run those routes last right. year. Everything was a go. It was a post, a short post or some type of corner sale that way downfield though. Now he's actually getting involved in the passing game on a, on a much larger scale. So what happens is the further, and I've done all of these studies on this, the further the target downfield, the less separation you have on average. And the reason for that is because the DB has four seconds now to recover, where yeah. if you put a guy off the line, he's beat. There's no recovery. It's done. So, yeah, he looks like he's separating now because he's actually running NFL routes in an NFL offense. It's kind of weird how that works. So Sneakily anyway. a Jameson Williams call out in my head. Well, Jameson is separating. He just can't catch. <laughs> so, that, that too, but they don't get him any intermediate. But no, I don't, I don't understand how he doesn't for a shallow day. target yet. Like a, on a shallow, like an actual shallow. Yeah. We've heard, we're, this is a side rant, but we've heard uh, Ben Johnson and Antoine Randall invoke the names of Mike Wallace and Santana Moss to compare that, uh, Jameson to them. Well, Mike, they were both great deep receivers, but they also took screens and shallows and slants 80 yards routinely. So let's get involved there. Build some confidence before you're trucking them five deep balls in one game. Anyways. But we but we digress. But we digress. Yeah. The I mean, yeah, the Steelers are gonna continue to defy all odds. Their offense just I mean, it's becoming a theme now where it just kind of comes alive in the uh in the second half and Kenny Pickett makes enough plays. And yep. that's just that's just going to be how their their season is. It's going to be can Kenny Pickett make enough plays to keep this offense moving, and can their defense hold a team to under twenty? And right now they're operating that script pretty well. Agreed. Um, all right, the Arizona Cardinals. Oh wait, we can't we can't miss the controversy here. Uh, the, this game ended in controversy also because the Rams were driving. Or sorry. On the go-ahead touchdown drive from the Steelers, they got to a fourth and one situation. Or was this the was this the drive to ice it? It was one of the two. I think it was the drive to ice it. it. Was it the drive that iced it? Quickly looking here. Yes. Yes, it was. So the you know, Rams need a stop to get the ball back and try to tie this game up. It's a they call a QB sneak on fourth and one. Kenny Pickett was two yards short. Very, yeah. I mean it was Everybody they, saw it. Yeah, and they spotted him, you know, with enough yards to get the first down. It was not to the two-minute warning yet, so it wasn't an automatic review, and the Rams were out of timeouts. So it got pushed to no review, basically. There, there was no chance to review it. They couldn't review it. The booth couldn't review it. So they got completely screwed. They get the if they make the right call there, they get the ball back with probably a minute 55 left. Yeah. And a chance to go down and tie it up. Um, 
it's frustrating when that happens. You, you're not saying the Rams for sure go down and score or anything like that, but it's just it's frustrating when they don't get the chance because the ref screwed it up. Yeah. So, anyways, Arizona traveled to Seattle, another division game. Um, they just like every game this year, Steve. They fought hard in the first half and then kind of fell apart in the second half. Arizona loses by a score of ten to twenty. The Seahawks get the ten point win. Um, this was a boring game to watch. I yeah. wanted to stab myself several times watching it. Uh, Kenneth Walker looks great, so I'll say that. Um, yeah, the the stuff rate is finally going down. You're not seeing him. It's not boomer bust with him as much anymore. It's getting yeah. a little bit better. Not a ton, but a little bit. I, it's gotten a lot better. I don't I haven't looked at it though from this game. He definitely got stuffed a few times in this game. So especially in that second half. Um, so I'm not I'm not sure how that how badly that impacted his overall stuff rate, but there's really nothing to talk about here, guys. Like this is this game was gross. Um JSN finally got involved, but so did Jake Bobo. It's gotta be frustrating because Bobo's a, a undrafted rookie of the same class and basically putting up an identical stat line to JSN Bobo, by the way, had one of the best catches you'll ever see. Yeah, so that was beautiful. Yeah, Kenneth Walker's stuff rate was forty six point two percent in this game. Yeah, I was gonna say, bro, I'm pretty sure this negatively impacts his uh, his overall score on the year for sure. But uh, yeah, it was it's just an ugly game. Um, Geno Smith is kind of getting in a rhythm. He's I just think that you know we're seeing he's playing well. Don't get me wrong. I think overall he's playing well. I just think that, again, he's regressing back to a little bit to the mean compared to last year. And you, this is just what this offense is. They're not going to be – it's not going to be as many, you know, insane deep ball throws yep. this year. And it just – you know, I like I liked that they incorporated a JSN a little bit more this week. I think that that, you know, if they can – if DK Metcalf comes back and they can kind of – get all of those receivers going, they can create some issues for a lot of teams, but it's yeah. just, you know, their offensive identity doesn't really play to that as much. So we'll yeah. see how it goes the rest of the year, but it's a, they're a competitive team. I think what they've continued to do with the offensive line is impressive despite having injuries, despite all of that stuff, they're holding up well. And, you know, Seattle's a competitive team. And I think that they'll continue to vie for a playoff spot and they're, they can surprise some people there. Agreed. All right. Green Bay went to Denver in the Mile High Stadium, and they lost by two points of a score, 19-17. to 17. Jordan Love continues to struggle. I got no notes from this game because I thought it was another just awful game, dude. This was gross. Oh, okay, I have one note. Javante Williams looks awesome. He's back. Yeah. And this one-two punch combination they got with Williams and McLaughlin, very solid. I like what I'm seeing there. Now, granted, it's running back, so it's not like a huge needle mover. When you talk about a Sean Payton identity-driven team, it's eerily resembling a vintage Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara vibe. Yeah, um, with Javante being the lead back, and he's more of the Ingram role. But like, I still like I still like what I'm seeing, and that is one of the schemes in the NFL that kind of does need a little, some running back production to make it go. So. That said, I like what I'm seeing there. Other than that, I, I've got nothing, Steve. Yeah, it's it's just that's what Russell Wilson is. And the Packers, it, they can't figure out how to move the ball in the first half. They've moved the ball a little bit in the second half each week. But, yeah, Jordan Love looks, I don't know, he looks lost out there at times. 
He did. He had, I mean, he had a couple of nice throws. I will say he had a couple of nice throws down the sideline, putting it in, you know, in a spot, in a spot for the receiver to make a play, you know, a couple of times they just didn't make plays, but I think they need to figure out a way to incorporate Christian Watson a little bit more. I think that's a big hampering to their offense right now is that their number one, their who's supposed to be their number one receiver is yeah. not getting involved in a way a number one receiver should. Yeah. He's just not developed to be a number one receiver, unfortunately. Like he's yeah. he's very much in the Jamison Williams wheelhouse right now. So Yeah, um, you just saw a lot more design targets from him for him last year, and you're not seeing it as much this year. That's true. Jaden Reed is getting a lot of those pop pass type stuff this year. So yeah. I need to do some soul searching there. But uh, all right, moving on. We got three games left. We're gonna get through it quickly here. The Chargers go to Kansas City and they get uh they get beat pretty badly, two touchdowns by two touchdowns for a score of 31 to 17. Um, my, I have two notes from this game. Three, actually. Travis Kelsey, when you don't cover him, it turns out he could still put up 180 yards. Pretty good. I shouldn't say. He, okay, one of those long plays, the 53-yarder, was covered, but the corner on the play decided to dive for the ball instead of go for the tackle, which basically gave Kelsey a ton of room to run. A younger Kelsey scores on that play, by the way, but instead yeah. he ran out of bounds. Um the other thing I have here is that Josh Palmer looks like a dude. I've been I've been pumping him up to Chris in our chat for a couple for since last year. We're like, hey, I really see something here. Well, he put on a route running clinic in this game. He was even running the Keenan Allen special that whip out um, that yep. made basically built Keenan Allen's career off of it. Um, Josh is running that route and he's running it very efficiently. Um, he also put on put Brian Cook on absolute skates on what was like a quarter slash cover zero look, man coverage, one-on-one in in the middle of the field, and Palmer just destroyed him for a big play, a 60-yarder. I really like what I'm seeing from Palmer. I think he's a dude. I think he's here to stay. Um, Is he like the most explosive player in the world? Nope, but he does a lot of things really, really well. The third point I have here is the Chargers continue to be the most frustrating team in the entire NFL to watch, and that's it. That their defense, it, I mean, there are just so many holes in that defense. The amount of times that Patrick Mahomes had someone with no one within three yards of him was absurd. And it's finally coming to fruition, but Rashi Rice is watch oh, out for him the rest of watch out for him the rest of the year. You I you can yeah. see that he's kind of the he's the number two guy for Mahomes. And I think that that's it's really going to shine through here in the next couple of weeks because his route share is starting to go up. They're starting to utilize him in the offense more. And I think he adds an element to that offense that was missing at the beginning of the year. They yeah. didn't have it. They didn't have a guy that they could rely on. And I think that as a receiver, he's going to be reliable and he's going to be utilized the rest of the year. Yeah. Great call there. Totally agree. I think they found their one. Oh, by the way, he finally got the snap share that suggests he's a starter now. Yes. Um, yes. I think it's played more snaps than him technically, but it was just a handful more. Um, and then the drop off from Rice to the next guy was pretty significant. So he's officially in that top two territory, which is really all we were waiting for. I definitely think sky's the limit for him for the rest of the year. And by yeah. sky, I mean not sky more because he's no good. Um, <laughs> Miami traveled to Philadelphia to get just manhandled by the Eagles. Woo! What a game. Uh, the Eagles kind of looked back. A.J. Brown, by the way, I mean, 
he's he might be the best receiver in the NFL. The only one above him was on the other side of the field for this game, and that's Tyree Kill. AJ is playing insane. He was on my top five lists in the offseason, so I feel really good about that. Um, but man, that dude is balling out. And there's been moments this season where the Eagles' offense is completely stagnated, and then AJ Brown rescues them with some ridiculous play. He pulls out of thin air. So, yeah, um, and it happened in this game actually. There was a stretch there where Eagles were not in a rhythm, and Miami was maybe showing some life. And then, oh wait, AJ Brown's the dude. So, um, yeah, I my only real takeaway here, Steve, Miami, they're just not as good as everyone wants them to be. That's unfortunate. The defense. Yeah. Let's you down at times. This offense, when you really go out of your way to force – when you have discipline and you force Tua to come off his first read, things aren't as pretty. Stopping yeah. that one game, too, is huge. Obviously, that's what the, the whole scheme is is dependent on is that really, really nice, efficient run game. Well, the yeah. Eagles' line was like not having any of that. Um, I know Moster ended up with a decent yards per carry line, I think like five yards a carry. But yeah, a lot of that came out. He had like a 21 yard run late in the game yeah. that was pretty meaningless. I don't, I don't think, yeah, I don't think they were running the ball efficiently. Oh, they knew that too. They only ran the ball what 10 times, 10, 11 like times. That. I mean, most of it has, but I think he was like nine for 45. So, nine for 45. Okay. And I know, yeah, Ahmed got a couple carries too. And I think the other yeah. one was scrambled by Tua. So, um, yeah. I digress though. The Eagles D line is so good. No one's really going to run. I know early in the year they gave up some runs, but like I think it's starting to come together. Jordan Davis looks awesome. Jalen Carter looks awesome. Fletcher Cox still, dude. Brandon Graham, not the best pass rusher anymore, but he's a really good run defender still. Yeah. Uh, same with Derek Barnett, who only played 12 snaps, but it doesn't matter. I mean, D line played a, a really good game. Yeah. Josh he, Sweat. He, like, that was. That, I mean, that's and that's why the Eagles defense is so good, and that's why they match up with this Miami Dolphins offense so well. Is that Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick being able to play that, you know, that outside linebacker position and how fast they are for how yeah. big they are is what I mean, that breaks the Miami Dolphins offense because what they're predicated on, like you said, is kind of is, is being able to get outside and use their speed and being faster than everybody and being able to turn the corner. And yeah. the Eagles didn't let him do it. The Eagles have two stud, fast outside linebackers, you know, DNs, whatever you want to call them. And it showed. And yeah, the Miami, I mean, Miami, they're going to continue to beat up on bad teams. But when they face a team that can kind of go toe to toe with them, that's where you're seeing the issues arise. And it's, it's their defense. They need that secondary to be fully healthy. But even then, the defensive line shows some issues at time. They have some really good guys on the off on the defensive line, but it just, they get gashed just enough times that they get behind the six. They're they, you know, their run game, they have to kind of abandon it. And then, you know, making to a drop pure drop back and be, you know, that guy is not who he is. Yes. Dude, they had Miami's offense had 12 negative plays, 12, like, plays that went for negative yards non-penalty plays that's insane they only ran yeah, 47 plays yeah 12 out of 47 went for negative yards yeah um, what a what a performance from the eagles who by the way just traded for kevin bayard one of my oh, favorite my. deep safeties in the league this guy's a ball hawk they have been a disaster on the back end with the safeties specifically yeah um, now he's going to join reed blankenship to make a, a decent duo um i really like bayard and his fit there too because they they he really excels playing like that ball hawking 
you know, he can play too high or single high. It doesn't really matter, but like he is very, very good. So um, he'll give them a little bit of what they lost with CJ going to the Lions, like that. Yeah. He'll give them that back. They haven't had that in the back end yet this year. Also, communication. They've had a ton of communication breakdowns, probably because they're trying all these young guys or undrafted guys, whatever. So now, uh, by the way, Terrell Edmonds wasn't undrafted, but he plays like an undrafted guy. So I always throw him <laughs> in that bucket. Um, yeah, I think the communication on the back end improves dramatically as well. Yeah, this benefits uh, Bradbury and Darius Slay more than anyone, honestly, because that's where where and when Darius Slay has been a – I mean, he's always been an elite corner, but where he's been his most elite is when he has a guy in the back end who he can trust wholly, and that allows him to kind of start to jump the ball a little bit more, be a bit more aggressive, and he's he's had to you know pull that back a little bit this year. And I think with Bayard coming in, he's going to able to he's able to crank that up a little bit more. And so is Bradbury. They're going to be able to be more physical. They're going to be able to jump routes a little bit more because they know they can trust the guys behind him. And so I mean, why? Yeah, watch out for this Eagles secondary to really come alive uh, in the second half of the year with Bayard coming in. Once he you know once he gets kind of integrated and yep. how, and like good to go in that defense. Final game of the week: the San Francisco 49ers travel to Minnesota. And they lose 22 to 17. And so now you have a really interesting situation where the Detroit Lions lost this week, the Buffalo Bills lost this week, the Miami Dolphins lost this week, the San Francisco 49ers lost this week. Like it's kind of a mass unit. Um, we did not expect all of these, you know, first ish place teams to lose. And here we are. Here we are. So this game, though, you know, I think a couple things for San Francisco got exposed. One, Brock Purdy had is finally getting that turnover regression we knew was coming. Um, yep. Put the ball in harm's way enough. Eventually, those passes will get caught. Um, and by the way, both of these picks were ugly. Uh, bad. Cool. Bad. The other thing, I, I've noticed this a few times this year now, and it's hard because they've been so dominant, but when you can pass protect against the 49ers, they are they're getting exposed. Yeah. The Vikings happen to have one of the best uh, bookend tackle duos in the league with Christian Darisaw and Brian O'Neill. They showed up. Bosa was pretty much a non-factor most of this game. Eric Armstead was meh. The, yep. I forget the other. They got some young edge guys, too, that get, get rotation in there. Javon Hargrave didn't do much. When you can pass protect against these, I don't think Cousins was sacked one time, actually, which is crazy because... No. You know, they, they have a lot of like, I would say, high TTT concepts in that scheme. So yeah. to not take any sacks is pretty nuts. And um, my other note here is that Jordan Addison is awesome. He looks really good. The yeah. number one knock on him coming into there, I should say, through the pre draft process, the number one knock on Jordan Addison was he wasn't big enough to play on the outside and hold up on the outside in the NFL. Probably a slot only guy. His. Weight adjusted 40 time wasn't good. Well, guess what? He looks strong. He looks fast. Amazing stuff. He had two plays in this game with physicality that really stood out to me. Obviously, the contested catch with Traverius Ward over the middle of the field. It was awesome. It turned into a touchdown, a 60-yard touchdown, actually, where he basically stops the interception, rips the ball out of Traverius Ward's hands, and deals with the contact. Really nice. The other one was there was like a 20-yard pass on the sideline. It's like a sale concept where he's getting pressed. It's from a tray formation. He's in the slot, getting pressed by Isaiah Oliver, who is a big corner. Yep. Um, super physical corner. Almost looks like a safety. He's so big. Uh, 
Addison gets off press really nicely, hits him with a violent cut upfield, which then invokes a hold from Isaiah Oliver, draws the flag, still plays through the contact to generate several yards of separation and catches the ball for 20 yards. We'll take the yardage penalty declined. Like Addison looks really, really freaking good. When Jefferson comes back, this offense could be scary because Addison's developed pretty nicely in his absence. Yeah, this is a big, it was a big game for him because those, uh, those San Francisco cornerbacks are really physical. Charverius Ward's one of the most physical corners in the game. And, you know, he was able to beat it. He was able to shine through when, you know, he was fighting through contact the whole game. Um, I thought this was TJ Hawkinson's best game of his career. All around best game of his career. He manned up Nick Bosa two or three times in pass protection and won. But the Minnesota Vikings offensive game plan was so good on how they stopped the pass rush. If you watched, they had a tight end, you know, they rarely went with uh, like an, you know, no tight end formation. Rarely did they go like a 10 personnel or anything. They almost always had a tight end at the end of the line and they were chipping Nick Bosa almost every single play and it threw him off and it helped create a good situation for their tackles where, you know, Nick Bosa was, he was getting chipped. They they would have their tight ends run him off before they got out on a route. And that really, it helped keep that pass protection clean and it helped keep Kirk Cousins clean. I thought that it was such a good game plan. What Kevin O'Connell did to help, you know, Kirk Cousins have the time to be able to drop back. What? I mean, he dropped back, a, you know, 40 plus times. He threw for 378 yards. It really was the fact that they, he was able to be kept clean. And I thought that Josh Oliver and, or not, yeah. Josh Oliver and um, DJ Hawkinson played a great game and they really sucked to their responsibilities in this game. And I think it was key to how they, you know, how they operated on offense. And I just, I, you know, TJ Hawkinson, his blocking was touted coming in and it had been an issue, you know, through his Detroit years, it was kind of an issue here and there when he's been, as he's been in Minnesota, but he really held his own this game and it really helped his offense you know, fly this week. He was so integral and, you know, it, his stat line wasn't great. I think he, I mean, it's not like it was bad if he had like five for 56 catches, but um, yeah, I just thought his pass protection in this game was awesome. And I was really impressed with how he held up against Nick Bosa. Wait, who, you said Hawkinson was five, five for 56. I thought something like that. He ended up with 11 for 86. So not efficient, but still a ton of targets. Yeah. So like, I, again, I thought it was his best overall game of his career. Wow. He may, may not have been these amazing touchdowns. It may not have been a ton of yards, but he did exactly what he needed to do in this game. He was, I mean, they were using him primarily as a check down receiver the entire game because they wanted to hem in and have him chip Nick Bosa constantly. And it worked and it worked really well. Right on. Um, also, the Vikings guys, they're now three and four. Um, the offense is still playing at a high level. They're yeah. not going to, they're clearly not going to change what they do. They, they want to drop back and throw the ball. Yep. They're a pass heavy offense. Their pass rate is roughly stayed the same since Jefferson's been hurt. Yep. The defense, guys, is has found their identity. Okay. First yeah. few weeks, this is my big criticism is we don't know what they don't know what they're doing. Flores had no clue. Um, I don't necessarily like the personnel still. I think the personnel is garbage. Flores yeah. is going to get the most out of it. Um, they've, de- they've developed this identity where it's we're going to blitz you, we're going to force the ball out quickly, and we're going to tackle. And that's yep. what they're doing. They're doing it pretty well right now. The last few weeks, you're just seeing tons of zero. 
Um, they'll line up, they'll show quarters too. And then, you know, quarters is an alert away from becoming man every single snap. So yeah, they showed too high, but they're using three safeties on pretty much every snap. Um, yep. Ellis, Bynum and Harrison Smith, uh, Metellus and Bynum kind of rotate who plays in the slot, who who's back. Yep. Uh, but they really just like to walk both those guys up a lot too. And yep. they're both in line of scrimmage. You don't know if someone's blitzing. Are they dropping back? They'll rotate into too high. It's it's really cool, but a lot of cover zero, a lot of blitz happy stuff, which is what Flores has kind of built a career on. He learned that style in New England when they used to blitz like crazy. Yep. Um, definitely definitely cool, though, because it's, it's really tough when you're getting destroyed in the pass game and you don't have an identity. That's frustrating, right? But at least yeah. now they have an identity, and sometimes it doesn't work. Look, they're going to give up some big plays here and there. It is 100%. what it is. But sometimes it does work, and it's when you're getting – you know, third and 15 and you have seven pass rushers coming at you. It's scary. Like that ball's got to come out quick. You're not getting, you're likely not getting a first down. So yeah, they, they really test the rules of the offensive line. That's, yes. I mean, that's, they, they put the offensive line in conflict. They put the quarterback in conflict every single time because they, you really have to think through how you're out, how you're designing the pass protection, each play and where you're directing it, how we identifying the blitzers, who's coming, who's not. Uh, Bynum has become really good at kind of running that robber role a little bit. You saw it in this game. He's, you know, able to kind of play below routes and jump and jump it a little bit. But yeah, they blitz it like they blitz it like above a 35% rate. It's crazy, but it works. It's working. And yeah, there are going to definitely be games where they're going to give up 35 plus. It's not going to happen often, but there are going to be some teams that are going to be able to protect against yeah. this. And it's it's going to happen. But they're they're a frisky team. I think that they are super frisky. Yeah, and I'm saying yeah. watch out. I mean, the, I've seen it a couple times, and I, I think I agree with it. But this, I mean, this Minnesota team might be better than last year's Minnesota team. Whoa! I've seen, I've the seen a couple people, TikTok, folks. I've the seen a couple people, TikTok. you know, put it out on Twitter, and I think I agree that this is a more sound team as a whole. I can agree. Than they that. were last year. Because last year they were getting gashed in the pass game. They're not getting gashed as much because they have a little bit, they have a more sound defensive strategy and that it's, it's helping. And I think that, yeah, this team, they could, they could find their way into nine to 10 wins just because of the way they play defense. And just because of the way that they test the protection rules of offensive lines and offensive line plays a little bit down this year. And so that's where they're going to kind of, they're going to excel because of it. Yeah. Listen, I'll say this. They've won three of their last four games. The one loss they had was to the defending Super Bowl champions, which they only lost by seven points, and they had the ball with 20 seconds to go in Chiefs territory, driving on the field with a chance to tie that game up. Now, it didn't work out for them. My point is, like, you can sit there and say, oh, they beat Carolina and they beat the Bears. These are bad teams. Well, they also almost took it to the Chiefs. Yeah. Um, and they, they just took it to the 49ers. So what else? Like, I... I mean, Lions got to be careful with this too. I mean, I'm, I couldn't agree more. That yeah, they, was, they that was my big, yeah. They better win against Minnesota. Yeah. That's all I got to say. So. Is that the Vikings could be a sneaky pick? I think the sneaky pick to win the division. I think the Lions are like minus five fifty right now to win that division. I don't. I don't know what the Vikings odds are at, I, but I might toss would, a bet on that. I'm just, gonna, just for the. I'm going to put a flyer on it. I'm going to put a flyer on it. Yeah, well, just for the emotional you know, recompense. If the Lions fumble the bag and Minnesota wins, at least I'm going to get paid for it. You know? like, right. Heck yeah. So anyways, that is going to do it. We are the Take Talk bros. We are going to 
take off, but like go to fantasypoints.com. I say this every week, but so much content coming out. The new tool, um, if you're a subscriber, I think a subscriber at any level, you get the new tool, which is not on the data suite. It's actually on the homepage. I think it's in the research section. Um, phenomenal tool. It's game changing. Uh, everything we do is game changing. So, yeah, I mean, I utilizing the tool this week, I built out a parlay for the Minnesota San Fran game and I hit a plus 2400 parlay on it. Heck yeah, dude. That's awesome. all because all because of the tool. 100% yeah. because of what you got to drop this in, in the chats, bro. Yeah, so the, the, people it's the second one I hit a, I hit a plus 6000 a couple weeks ago. Two oh, last right. week last week actually in the Tampa Bay Detroit game. Nice. Again, I'm not all, all because of the tool. I'm admittedly not a parlay guy, but my prop bet success rate the last three weeks is like 96%. I think I've missed one prop. Yeah. And I'm betting volume too. It's not like I've done like two props and I'm hitting them. Like I think each of the last two weeks I've put at least seven or eight props in and I've only lost one. So yeah, I do props and then I'll throw put together one parlay based off of research. That's awesome. Well, you heard it here, guys. Uh, use the tool, build some props, win some money pays for the tool exactly we love you and we are out thanks for tuning in to this edition of the fantasy points podcast remember to subscribe rate and review on your favorite platform and come join the roster at fantasypoints.com 